<laughs> God, I hate the 90s. <laughs> you are going to be a bad mother crusher. <laughs> Radio Drome. Welcome to Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. Cecil and Peter won't be here this week due to scheduling conflicts, so since we're not recording this on our normal night, I asked Mike White to sit in. What's up, Mike? I've been Shanghai'd. Technically, you have, yes. As long as it's not a Shanghai surprise, because that movie sucked. Oh, I love that movie. I'm not sure I like you anymore. But... If you guys want to like something, you go to adamandeve.com. You'll find something to like there. You use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free power O-ring, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. That said, we're going to look at another actor retrospective. This man just passed, and he's one of my favorite actors, Miguel Ferrar, or... As you pointed out to me prior to the show, for rare? Yeah, yeah, it, it took me by surprise when he said it as well, but I did have to ask, and he said Ferrer, and I was like, okay, it doesn't sound right, though. It doesn't sound nearly as romantic as Miguel Ferrer. Yes, it, it sounds very lo- much like a Spanish telenovel villain, right. doesn't it? But so if you had to pick one iconic role of the many that he's been in, what do you remember him the most for? Oh, God. It has to be Star Trek Three. No, it has to be RoboCop. He's a real bad mother crusher. Oh, God, yes. He's so good in that movie. He is. He's a total piece of yuppie scum, but he is just wonderful in that movie. He might be yuppie scum, and maybe this is his acting ability. You still kind of wanted to like him, even though he's yeah. a jerk. Yeah, yeah, well, he's, he's a real go-getter, you know, he wants to move up the, the party line, wants to get up to, uh, you know, CE level, and, uh, wow, yeah, terrific, terrific role for him, and, I mean, RoboCop is such an amazing movie, there's not just one bad guy, but there's at least two or three fantastic bad guys in that movie, it is wonderful. I remember seeing one of the retrospective extras on RoboCop, where, where Farrar, that's how I'm gonna refer to him, where that's Farrar, fine was talking about how he's been in three or four movies with Kirkwood Smith, and Kirkwood kills him in every one. He just wanted to be in a movie where he got to kill Kirkwood Smith once. <laughs> God, the famous bitches leave, so- leave scene. And see, to me, though, I-, I love him as Bob Morton, but I gotta go Twin Peaks. Albert oh, got all of the best... It's like that series was written for Albert. He got, even though he was only a supporting cast, he got all of the best lines. And I hope I'm not being morbid, Mike, when I say I'm glad he finished shooting the new Twin Peaks before he died. Yeah, it's going to be very sad to see him on there, but I am glad that Albert is going to be back at least for hopefully one episode, if not more. And yeah, his... I mean, God, he was so amazing. It's just that complete jerk. Look, it's trying to think. Oh, God, I love it. Anything else you want us to do? Yeah, how about you practice walking without dragging your knuckles on the ground? 
<laughs> but I mean, it was almost like when Lynch and Frost wrote those. They, they, they okay. Do you remember back in Classic Trek how even before you knew this, you kind of figured the writers liked McCoy better because he got all of the best lines. Yes. That's what you felt about Albert in Twin Peaks. The writers just seemed to love him because he got all the best lines. And he delivered them all so well. And then when he does that turn and talks about how he believes in the works of Mahatma Gandhi and King and how he loves Agent Truman, oh my God, or Sheriff Truman, that was just so good. That is one of those, like, I mean, it's a minute long, but it is just indelible. Anything we should be working on? Yeah. You might practice walking without dragging your knuckles on the floor. Albert, let's talk about knuckles. But the last time I knocked you down, I felt bad about it. The next time is going to be a real pleasure. You listen to me. While I will admit to a certain cynicism, the fact is that I'm a naysayer and hatchet man in the fight against violence. I pride myself in taking a punch and I'll gladly take another because I choose to live my life in the company of Gandhi and King. My concerns are global. I reject absolutely revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. I love you, Sheriff Truman. Albert's path is a strange and difficult one. And that's one of his strengths. He's one of, see, unfortunately when he died, I saw a lot of people obviously remembered him as Bob Morton, but he's one of those that guys. You know, the Sid Haggs and the Robert Forsters, Lance Henriksen, Michael Ironside, John Saxon, those guys where everybody knows their face, but the average public just can't place where, you know, that guy's name is, um, he, he was that guy that was in that movie and he did that thing. That's unfortunate, especially when when it comes from the fact that in real life, he's George Clooney's cousin. His mom was singer Rosemary Clooney. His father was Jose Ferrar. Again, that's how I'm saying it. He comes from a lineage. He, he honestly should have been a bigger name than he was. Excelled in those small roles, man. He just did them so well. And he, for me, one of the big selling points of Ferrar, and I will call him Ferrar as well, is that voice, that wonderful gravelly voice that he had. I know that he loaned it to a lot of characters. He was part of the, well, actually he was part of the DC and Marvel universe, uh, Marvel live action, but DC, a lot of cartoons, that voice was just liquid gold, man. So, so good. And I'm not saying that that's what kept him out of those bigger roles, because I agree he should have been a much bigger actor, should have had those lead roles. And when he did have lead roles, there's a movie that he was in called The Harvest. And that is one of those movies that if you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. I mean, it's almost based on that urban myth of like the guy who has the wild night wakes up and his kidney's gone. But it takes it so much farther than that and does a really good job with it. So if people haven't seen The Harvest, that is Miguel Ferrar really kicking it up a notch and, and, and being a terrific lead character. Well, you mentioned his voice. More people probably have ever heard his voice than than they would even recognize. It's estimated, I can't find an exact count, that between TV commercials and movie trailers, which he narrated, that there's almost a thousand different ads out there with his voice in it. Because he did tons of car commercials, shoe commercials, deodorant commercials. Plus, throughout the 90s, it was him and Don LaFontaine that narrated damn near every movie trailer in existence. Yeah, he just had that. I mean, 
mean, he was even uh, voice work even in that uh, Shining miniseries. You know, it was just he was all over the place with that. People have heard him, even if they might not recognize his name. They know his work, and it's it's weird how he didn't even start working until 1981. He just seems like one of those actors that's been around forever. Well, he was originally going to be a musician. I mean, he played drums on a, a Ringo Starr album, you know? So it's, it's, or was it Ringo Starr? No, sorry. It was Keith Moon. Sorry. So yeah, just, uh, he was up for being a musician before he kind of fell into being an actor. Well, and even within all that, he tended to co-write with uh, Bill Moomy from Lost in Space. A lot of people probably forget that he used to work for Marvel Comics. He wrote some Hellraiser stories. He wrote Comet Man. He wrote some Wolverine stories. He he wrote a Marvel graphic novel. He wrote for Dark Horse. I, a lot of people were surprised when they're like, he wrote comic books too? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was a man of many, many talents. I mean, he just, he's, he's all over the place, you know, and that's one of those things where when you look at how much we just lost by losing him to, to throat cancer, it wasn't just third string character on NCIS LA or something. He had such a wonderful career and had just had his fingers in so many things over the years. And strangely enough, while he got famous for playing bad guys, he also excelled at playing good guys to the point where he became so identifiable with bad guys, you started to doubt the good guys that he played. Like, it, it, when you're when you're watching a movie and, say, you know, there's a mole character and Malcolm McDowell's on the cast, you go, it's Malcolm McDowell. It's just, it's going to be. So whenever there's a, a traitor in the story and Miguel Ferrar is playing an actual good guy, you just expect him to be the traitor, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I kept waiting for kind of play with that on NCIS LA sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, he's selling this down the river. But no, he's actually doing this for good reasons. But, yeah, you just kept expecting him to go bad. So the writers were pretty clever by throwing us that bone every once in a while. Like, oh, no, he's really bad. Oh, okay, no, he's good. So they did, they did a smart job when it came to that. But I liked him even more on stuff like uh, Crossing Jordan. I thought he was really good on that one. Which is He was the reason I watched that show i didn't care about jordan i didn't care about woody i watched for miguel ferrar and unfortunately he's he directed a bunch of episodes that's all he's ever directed oh yeah i would have loved to have seen him do more but yeah like you said he was on crossing jordan which as i just stated he was the reason i watched it like ncis la i didn't even watch that show he he's been on shows that i don't like but if they're on i'll watch it because it's like ooh, miguel's in this so let's go back 1981. His very first screen appearance as an ensign in one scene of a Magnum P.I. episode. Making it big. Well, and then he, you know, he dicked around in early 80s TV for a while. He was a villain on Cagney and Lacey, a villain on Chips, a villain on Hill Street Blues, a villain on T.J. Hooker. You get getting a pattern here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, he had that that tiny little role that you joked about at the beginning, Star Trek Three: Search for Spock, where he just... I don't know. He looks out of place on the on the inter- on the Excelsior, doesn't he? I don't know. It's always so nice to see him. He looks less out of place than Christian Slater does in Star Trek VI. I've always loved how TV shows do this when when they fall in love with an actor, a guest star, and they just recast him every season as a new character. He played three different doctors on three different seasons of Trapper John M.D. <laughs> does that mean he was really good or really bad? 
I would say really good. That's that's where I'm going to go. That they wanted him back all those different times, but they couldn't really find a, a good way to keep his character around. He went on to this is one of the things where where that whole him always playing a villain comes in. Did you ever see the the Kung Fu the Next Generation pilot with Brandon Lee? No, I kind of avoided that one on purpose. Well, Miguel Ferrar plays his best friend in that and <gasps> turns out to be actually the head of the burglary ring they're trying to take down and <laughs> and it's like it's Miguel Ferrar, he's going to betray them. Oh gee, he betrays them in the last 5 minutes. Never saw that coming. It's actually not a bad pilot. It just doesn't quite work the way. Let's let's put it this way. David Carradine campaigned against it. <laughs> Jeez. I don't know if that helped or hurt. Right. But then, the role that everyone knows him for, the baddest mother crusher out there, RoboCop, Bob Morton. Do you think that's the film that, that put him into pop culture? I mean, like I said, look at all the TV stuff he'd, he'd done and whatnot. RoboCop probably jumped his career up ten, ten spots, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the reason why I was able to get an interview with him years ago was that I was doing an episode on RoboCop and he even said in the interviews like I will never hesitate to talk about that robot that got me into the business cuz he just still loved that role and loved what that did for his career. So, yeah, I definitely think that was the one that put him on the map. I just wonder how many people walk up to him, run their fingers through and through his hair and say, "Don't fuck with me." <laughs> <laughs> he or, did or, talk or, or, about that scene and that uh, there was some real intensity going on because uh, apparently Ronnie Cox did not tell him that he was going to do that. I was just in the restroom at work the other day and I started doing that whole, like, uh, you know, calling uh, Dick Jones an asshole kind of thing. <laughs> Well, after RoboCop, because I, I think it took a while for, I guess, his stardom to kick in. Do you remember O'Hara, that TV show with Pat Morita? I remember the name of it, but that's about it. Well, he, he was stuck doing, he did an episode of that, an episode of Hooperman. He did a TV movie I've never seen, but I want to now. C.A.T. Squad, Python Wolf TV movie. You know what? I would like to see Miguel Ferrar in Cat Squad, Python Wolf. I I don't even know what the what is that title? Is that the most nonsensical title ever? Yeah, I mean it almost sounds like a, a escape from Hong Kong, you know. I have a feeling it's probably an un, you know a backdoor pilot that just never took off with a title like that. Because then the next thing he did was pilot that never took off. Did you ever see him and Sharon Stone in the in the Road Warrior ripoff Badlands 2005 from 1988? No. Oh, that sounds amazing. He's the android helper to the woolly, completely uncharismatic lead, and, and Sharon Stone is still unknown at this point. She's the she's the uh, female lead in it. It's not good, and and I'm not saying this because we're doing a thing on Miguel. He's the reason you watch it. Sharon Stone's quite bad in this, in all honesty. I can't really say that I'm surprised. But then he went to what horror fans might know him best from, Deep Star 6. Snyder is easily the most memorable character in that whole movie and has such a glorious death scene. I know I've seen that movie, but I could not remember it because there was a whole spate of underwater movies going on in, what was this? This is the... Uh, 1989. We actually did a whole episode on all six of them that came out in 89. Oh, God. Yeah, okay, so I wasn't wrong because I remember there being just a ton of underwater movies all around the same time. Yeah, well, in this one, all of the problems are caused by his character. His character character is an absolute jerk, and he jumps into an escape pod and doesn't depressurize, so you can guess what his death scene is. <laughs> Miguel nice. go pop. And then he showed up twice on Miami Vice, 
just like with Trapper John, as two separate characters in two separate seasons, because that happens apparently. And then he was in a TV miniseries that I've heard, I always heard was really good. Drug Wars, the, the Camarena story. From 1990, it was a you know one of those uh, six-hour miniseries on TV. He he played one of the main drug cartel guys. I never saw that one, but I always heard that was actually pretty good. I will have to check it out one of these days. Well, and then we get to we get to the Guardian, the tree worshiping weird horror movie that didn't work. <laughs> Just like you with with Deep Star Six, I've seen it. He plays a character named Ralph Hess. I could not tell you a thing about that. I don't remember him in that movie at all. I, I know I remember seeing the trailer for that because that was around the time I was working at a movie theater, but could put a gun to my head and I wouldn't be able to tell you what it was about. And that was a William Friedkin movie, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. It did not do well, though, so I think that's why no one remember. I remember something about worshipping trees, and it was kind of like with a babysitter trying to sacrifice a kid to a tree. I might be totally misremembering it. That's what I remember from the movie. Well, and then he went on to Twin Peaks. Yes. We talked about that a little bit, so we'll skip over that. And then he did a TV show that I don't remember. First it was a TV movie, and then he was the district attorney, Todd Spurrier, in Shannon's Deal. You even heard of that one? I have definitely heard of that one. That was actually uh John Sales created that one. And I'm trying to remember who the lead was in that, but Jamie Sheridan? Yeah, again, I don't really remember very much about it. It seemed to kind of get lost in, uh, you know, this wasn't the golden age of TV procedurals, but it seemed like it was kind of uh, in that, like, L.A. law vein. But, I don't know, do you think Miguel fits for a DA? Doesn't he work better as a sleazy defense attorney? Well, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I could see him taking over the role of, uh, I wish I could remember the name, the actor's name, but the, uh, the chief on like special victims unit, you know, the, the bald guy from Detroit, like who also was in LA law. So I can see him kind of playing that, you know, like bunch, you got to get out of the office and go see this suspect or blah, 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 like giving orders that way. But yeah, I don't really see him as being the, the DA role in that. I see him being more of the law and less of the order. Do you remember the short-lived 1990 series Broken Badges that he was the star of? I do not remember that one at all. He's a Cajun with a full-on Cajun accent. Oh my god. He's a Cajun who a case brings him to Los Angeles. The series is on DVD, by the way, all eight episodes. He gets the rejects. Ernie Hudson's character is a kleptomaniac cop. He gets a cop who lives lives for danger and has a death wish, and a cop who he's a he's a great forensic guy, but he can only speak through his uh, his hand puppet, and he's a ventriloquist. And they are tasked with a psychiatrist to just deal with the broken badge squad. Oh my God! It was it sounds like soap almost? It was kind of nuts, and you know what? It really. I don't know enough about Cajun accents, Mike, to say if his was good or bad, but it's weird coming out of Miguel. <laughs> a really thick Cajun, and he says Cherie a lot. I would actually recommend you picking up the DVD set on this one, Mike. You might enjoy all these episodes. I'll, yeah, it sounds crazy enough that I might just like it. After David Lynch and Mark Frost left Twin Peaks, do you, do you remember their short-lived TV series On the Air? Oh, yeah, of course. He was amazing as as the the boss in that. Right, I, I, Bud, Bud Bud Waller, I think it was. Bud Bud Waller. For those that don't get it, okay, on the air was very Lynchian. Behind the scenes of a live 1950s TV broadcast, 
and the way I put it was, this was a live action cartoon. Cause like, there, there's a scene in the pilot where everything's going wrong on the air and the station man or the, the station owner calls Bud and just flames literally shoot out of the phone and he hangs it up. Yeah, he's pissed. <laughs> Don't you remember it being kind of like a cartoon that happens to have live actors in it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I remember, yeah, there were nutty things that happened in there and it wasn't, of course it's David Lynch, so there's going to be some nutty things, but it, it was lighter comedy that I'm used to from David Lynch. It was very slapstick. There was a lot of slapstick and physical humor. Oh yeah. I mean, for people who are expecting another uh, Twin Peaks, they're definitely in for a, a, a shocking surprise, but I liked it. I think the most shocking surprise was ABC. It was, they made seven episodes. ABC only aired three of them. Episode <laughs> one, episode five, and episode three in that order. Should I point out it's a continuity-based show? Gee, I wonder why nobody wanted to watch it, huh? Yeah, exactly. Well, and then we go to 1992. Okay, I already said Albert was my favorite character in Twin Peaks. I was very disappointed with how few scenes and how little screen time he had in Firewalk with me. Yeah, I can agree with that. But, I, I mean, that opening, the whole Chet Desmond opening is just so great. And I consider that to be part of the opening as well with uh, um, the David Bowie character coming in there and not The time-traveling FBI agents. Oh, so good. Yeah. And there's so much more of that stuff in the script, if you ever get your hands on it. There is a whole like subplot that takes place in Rio and that's where he basically teleported in agent what was his Jeffries right there's not more Albert unfortunately but there is definitely more of the Bowie character so if you want to check it out and there's a good story that uh, Miguel was telling because um, I was asking him about what it was like to work with David Bowie and apparently David Lynch was absolutely starstruck working with David Bowie if you can imagine that it, like he would go over to Miguel Ferrar and be like look at it's David Bowie <laughs> <laughs> so even he was surprised he got Bowie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't imagine that Agent Jeffries is going to be in the new Twin Peaks, but that would have been amazing to have him back. Well, and, and then we go to 1992. You mentioned The Harvest, which I, I'll admit I haven't seen. So on your recommendation, I will check that one out. Yeah, that is one of those solid – I don't know if that was made for cable or what it was, but, I mean, it's up there with, like – I wouldn't say it's, like, Red Rock West quality, but it's up there as far as movies of that ilk coming out from around that time. It was it was good stuff. I mean, I hope I'm not overselling it. It reminded me of, like, The Night of the Running Man, these kind of things. So there's – it's uh, it was a solid movie, if memory serves. Well, and then the next thing he did was not a solid movie. The American La Femme Nikita, Point of No Return. Well, I'll admit, I still like that movie. I don't even remember him in that. I don't remember him in that either. I mostly remember Anne Bancroft. <laughs> it, it, it's like, I'm trying to think. I've seen that movie two or three times since it yeah. came out. And I'm like, was Miguel in that? He's credited, so he must have been. Yeah, yeah, I... I hesitate to say that I'm going to have to go back and watch it again, but I kind of did like that movie. Even with uh, Bridget Fonda wearing those horrible fake teeth going, I want my Nina Simone records back. I liked her hair in that one. Sorry. Oh, it's very cute. Very cute hair. I don't think I ever saw Hot Shots Part 2. He oh. played Harbinger. Did he? Did Miguel have a big role in that? Because I, I didn't like the first one, so I never saw the sequel. It was a small role, but he has one of the best 
lines in it. Oh my god! That when I I I did like a little tribute thing to him a couple weeks ago, and I started it off with his line. I think he like throws a grenade or something. All these guys, you know, die, and he stands up from the weeds and he just goes, "War, it's fantastic!" And then has a shit-eating grin on his face. It is terrific. Yeah, I just I isn't that the one with like Saddam Hussein as the T one thousand or some shit. Oh, I'm sure that it is. I also remember that's when Charlie Sheen, it's very much like Rambo 2. He's going back to the jungle to save these guys. And there's one part where he is going up the river and you hear his voiceover. And then it starts to get muddled with another voiceover. And you suddenly realize that it's Willard from Apocalypse Now. And their boats pass with Charlie Sheen on one and Martin Sheen on the other. And they stand up and they look at each other and they go, I loved you in Wall Street. Another stakeout <laughs> where, where Farrar played Tony Castellano. I saw this movie once in 1993, and I think I purged it from my memory because I don't remember a damn thing other than not liking it. I only saw the first Stakeout maybe two years ago when I was talking to John Badham, so I was like, yeah, I should probably watch Stakeout. I didn't have the heart to watch the second one. I liked the first one, but wasn't Rosie Perez in the second one? Or not Rosie Perez, Rosie O'Donnell? She might have been, because wasn't that one Emilio Estevez? Yeah, Emilio and... Um... Uh, Richard Dreyfus were in the first one, and I think they're back, and they have their sassy female partner. <laughs> God, I hate the 90s. <laughs> well, but then the 90s also gave us Paul Thomas Anderson's first short, Cigarettes and Coffee, which I thought was brilliant. And Miguel plays Hitman Bill in that. Oh, sorry if that's a plot spoiler, because you're not supposed to know he's a hitman till the end. But you know what? He was pretty damn cool and cold in that. And you could see Paul Thomas Anderson's style coming out. And with how PTA would tend to work with the same people over and over, kind of surprised he never worked with Ferrar again after that, because they seemed to get along quite well. My it's first, my first really and almost last PTA was Boogie Nights. I liked Boogie Nights though. Yeah, it was like, you know, Goodfellas does porn. I wasn't a real fan. For one episode, Miguel Ferrar narrated the Bruce Lee episode of Biography. That's a little weird. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen that one, too. Well, that's the whole Bruce-Brandon uh, Lee connection. That's why he was going to be in Kung Fu. Yeah, because he was friends with Brandon, so I guess narrated for his dad. It's just weird when you see a, you know, I guess celebrity narrator on one of those for just one episode. I remember I, there was the, uh, behind, not behind the music. I think it was biography of the doors that Henry Rollins narrated. And it's the only one he did. And it was like, I know he's a fan of the doors, so maybe he requested that or something. Well, and then we get to blank check. A movie none of us want to remember, and I'm sure Miguel did that movie for the check. Which probably wasn't blank. No, it was probably a lot bigger than it had any right to be. And then, as you brought up earlier, The Stand. I'm gonna, I, I hate that I keep saying this. I've seen The Stand. I even own it on DVD. I don't remember it being very good, though. It wasn't very good. Um, I kinda hated it. I know that, what was it, Lauren? Laura San Giacomo was in there as Nadine. I mean, so many Wasn't people. Rob Lowe in that? Yeah, as Nick, the, the deaf guy. I mean, those characters, if you are a fan of the book, you know those characters inside and out by the time you're done with it. And the casting of that was just, it was very bad, very poorly done. So, I mean, I liked Lloyd Henry, the character, but I don't think that Miguel stood a chance being that character. So, 
yeah, that was that was just bad casting all the way around. I mean, especially having Gary Sinise as Stu and Molly Ringwald as uh, Franny. Yeah, just wasn't not. wasn't Jamie Sheridan? He was Randall Flagg in that. Yeah, yeah. So again, him working with Jamie Sheridan again. Yeah, that was not good. I mean, I remember there being one funny bit where Sam Raimi showed up. That's as much as I remember, really. Like I said, I own it on DVD and Laserdisc. I picked them both up on clearance. I don't know if I'll ever sit and watch that whole series again. Yeah, I they they really should have done better with that one. It didn't need, for one thing, it didn't need to be eight f***ing hours long. <laughs> no. I'd still like to go back and read the uh, Romero draft of that, because I know he was working on an adaptation. I'd like to see what he would have done with that. Well, and then Miguel did a couple more TV movies. Jack Reed, A Search for Justice. That sounds like a pilot. And Incident at Deception Ridge. Again, I've never heard of either of those of you. No. No, Incident at Deception Ridge sounds like it would have been uh, like a Ruby Ruby Ridge uh, takeoff, you know. Well, he did a true story. He was Stanislav in A Promise Kept, the Oksana Bayul story. <laughs> you know what? I didn't see it, but I don't know. Miguel as Stanislav. I, I, even from that name, I don't know if that's her trainer or a Russian mobster. <laughs> it could go either way, huh? Yeah, yeah, I would like to see him as her trainer. Harder, faster, you must do it. You bring pride to our country. Well, and then he was in three different episodes of Tales from the Crypt. So, you know, he's he's always good in anthology stuff. And then I remember him being out of place in... Did you ever watch Hunter? Uh, I... With Fred Dreyer? No. I watched that show all nine seasons, so when they brought it back in 95 as a TV movie, Everyone Walks in L.A., It's it was supposed to be Fred Dreyer coming back as the character that he abandoned in 1989, and I'm sorry, but Miguel Ferrar as a serial killer just steals this f***ing movie from Fred Dreyer. Oh, I'm not surprised. You know, I mean, I, I remember just him being so much more interesting than any of the returning characters. Miguel Ferrara plays a great serial killer. I don't know what that says about him. Do you remember the 1995 Showtime series, Fallen Angels, that noir series that they yes. did? A lot of great people worked on that. Tom Hanks is a sadistic hitman years before Road to Perdition, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh I'm trying to remember old Brendan Fraser as a, uh, a gay hitman based on a story based by David Goodness. Well, and you had Gary Oldman in, in an episode where he was he was freaking out over killing his girlfriend. And there was a lot of talent both in front of and behind the camera. Tom Cruise directed an episode of that. Right. His only directorial effort was a Fallen Angels episode. Yeah, some some terrific uh, episodes. And I don't know, did they ever put that out officially on DVD? No, for some reason, that is languishing in bootle the bootleg zone. Hmm. And it did have a VHS release, so you right. can still find those episodes officially, but not on, not digitally. Miguel, he appeared in one episode, but he was also the narrator for the show. Because, you know, being noir, it always opened with, you know, like a sprawling narration. And that was Miguel in every episode. Very cool. I did not realize that. Again, I remember seeing this. He was the villain in the ALF TV movie from 96? <laughs> I, I'm saying that with a question mark in my voice? Yeah, yeah, which was really a huge hit in Germany for some reason. So I have this on DVD, uh, a German DVD. <laughs> well, do you remember him as the weatherman in that unaired in America but aired overseas Justice League pilot from 97? No, I sure don't. It's not good. Uh, David Ogden Steers is uh, Martian Manhunter. It's 
it's very much played for comedy, and Miguel is the bad guy. And just like with Kung Fu and so many other roles, that's supposed to be a plot twist that he's the weatherman. Uh. And it's like, um, it's Miguel. He's the only other name member of your cast. Yes, he's the villain. Right. Yeah, no big shocker there. And then one of, he, he made one, a movie that I think is so severely underrated. Okay, the last 20 minutes fall apart. Richard D's in The Night Flyer from Stephen King. He is amazing as a super sleazy tabloid reporter. Never seen The Night Flyer. There was a period there where there were, well, that was a made for TV thing, right? HBO. HBO, okay, cause there was like that and the Tommyknockers and the Langoliers and just like there was a period there where uh, there were all of these TV adaptations of Stephen King and for some reason I just kind of avoided those. Maybe it was the Stan phenomenon where I just was like, yeah, no, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm going to go to the theater and I'm going to watch that one with Robert England about the, uh, what was that called? The Mangler. I'm going to go watch that instead. Well, you you made the wrong choice because the Night Flyer is really damn good. Nice. He is a super sleazy late '90s tabloid reporter willing to do anything to get the story on a vampire that is flying into small airports and massacring everyone there. It does fall apart in the last ten minutes, but he just steals this movie from every other character. I highly recommend if you're a Miguel fan, you check out Night Flyer. Even knowing the ending won't live up to all the buildup. Well, and then he did the Mr. Magoo movie. <laughs> I don't remember him as Ortega Peru. He tells an amazing story about working with Stanley Tong um, on that movie, on the, the uh, interview I just put out. It was kind of like the reason why I didn't put out that interview five years ago was because he does this kind of unflattering impersonation of Stanley Tong. But uh, since Miguel is dead, I was like, oh, I guess it's okay to put this out now. Well, now, I don't remember the Brave New World TV movie from 98, but Miguel played director of Hatcheries and Conditioning, which to me sounds like, you know, a one or two scene role. Right. Sounds like he's there at the beginning, probably talking about how the alphas and the betas are, are separated and all this stuff and probably a whole, not a whole lot more. Well, and then he was in Mulan as a voice. He was in the Men in Black cartoon show. He was in the Hercules TV series. And then, do you remember that weird movie, Where's Marlowe? That kind of noir throwback comedy from 98? I remember the name, and I want to say I remember the box cover for it, but I don't think I ever saw the movie. He, he's, one, he's one of the guys in that, and he's actually quite... You know, it's weird how much he fits into noir, you know? Oh, yeah. No, he definitely could do that very well. I loved him as Vic Carp, the head of Late Line, that Al Franken series. Do you remember that Dateline parody that NBC had and then later on Showtime had? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's like, I remember Franken being involved with that. I didn't remember Miguel being in that. He's he's one of the main cast. I mean, yes, it's technically an ensemble show, as, you know, comedies like that are. Mm -hmm. But no, it's Al Franken and Miguel Ferrar star in that show. He's basically playing a no-nonsense version of Bud Budwaller from On the Air. <laughs> he's pretty much the same character. And then he would show up on, like, a Will and Grace episode, a third rock from the sun. He was a voice you pointed out earlier for the DC animated. He was Aquaman, the Weather Wizard, and DeScene in the Superman TV show. He was the voices of all three of those. I didn't watch those shows, that show, so I don't, I didn't know that one. Yeah, I just remembered him having a lot to do with the, cause he, he would, uh, do other voices, I think, for other cartoons, right? Yeah, he did a lot of Jackie Chan adventures. He was Tarkudo. Mm. 
I remember the Henry Rollins hosted Fox series Night Visions. He was in one of the unaired episodes that didn't air until the Sci-Fi Channel called Patterns with Malcolm McDowell. He and McDowell are amazing in their story. Even if you don't like the series and you don't care about, you know, a Fox anthology show, Mike, you have to see the Patterns episode. It's literally him and Malcolm McDowell for 28 minutes sparring as as two as a doctor and a crazy man and you're not quite sure which one's really which <laughs> and it, it's amazing to see him and Malcolm McDowell when you've got two actors like that together you get gold oh yeah and then he played remember the TV show sightings yeah yeah vaguely you know, it, it was kind of an unsolved mysteries, but leaned more towards alien abductions and ghosts and shit like that. It proved so popular, they started making TV movies out of some of these stories. Huh. He was in one of those. Sightings, Heartland Ghost. I gotta admit, I didn't watch it. No. He was a voice in the in Halo 2, the video game. He was the leader of the heretics! He's been on American Dad, on Robot Chicken, and then he got Crossing Jordan. Dr. Garrett Macy is the only reason to watch that show. I'm assuming you watched the whole show? Yes. Yes, I did. Do you agree with me that Jordan and Woody and all them are not worth watching, but Macy was? Yeah, I mean, I didn't mind those characters. I mean, they, they held it together for me, but yeah, he stood out as, as Macy. I, I remember there was a season one episode where Carl freaking Reiner played his dad, and they were trying to get a Detective Comics 27 that had been stolen from him. Now that is what you go to Miguel Ferrar for. <laughs> It was around this time that he was in L.A. 187, which is also known as L.A. Sheriff's Homicide. That movie plagued me for the longest time. It was a TV movie, so you'd think it would be fairly easy to find. It only aired, as far as I know, in Belgium, and it took me forever to find a person in Belgium who had a recording of it and could send it to me, because I was doing an article about James Elroy, and it was written by James Elroy, so it was just like, being the completest that I am, I'm like, well, I have to see it. And it took me so long before I could finally get my hands on a copy. I can't say it was good, but I finally did see it and wrote about it, so thank goodness. But it was one of those, uh, it was a pilot, basically an unaired pilot for a TV show that never happened. So that probably would have been, you know, that was... He, 2003. It was 2003. I know Crossing Jordan started in 2001, so I'm wondering if... Did he not come on to this show until a little bit into it? No, uh, he was he was there from the pilot. Okay. He, he, he probably made that, that pilot break between seasons. Right. Or could 2003 might be just a completely bogus thing that might have made it way earlier. And yeah, that, that might have been when it aired. Yeah, when it aired in Belgium. Well, you got me curious. I want to see it now. I know I have it somewhere, but... It's, I'm, I'm sure Cinemageddon has it. It's going to take me a while to find it. Yeah, somebody contacted me. I'll look on me. CG later. Yeah, somebody just contacted me the other day, and they're like, oh, he was in... Uh, LA Confidential? And I'm like, yeah, here's the pilot for LA Confidential. And then I looked and I'm like, no, no, he wasn't in LA Confidential. He was in LA Sheriff's Homicide. Yeah, I was going to say, I I remembered Eric Roberts in LA Confidential as well as Kiefer Sutherland. I didn't remember Farrar in that. Well, then then they made that weird decision in 2007. We're not going to bring back the $6 million man. We're going to bring back the Bionic Woman, the spinoff of $6 million man. And I remember that show being just terrible. I don't remember him being in that at all, but apparently he's in all nine episodes. Wow. I gave up after two or three, but I don't remember him at all in Bionic Woman. Yeah, I know I watched that as well, but I know I, I think I just watched the first episode and that was about it. 
when are people going to realize Katie Sackoff cannot act? <laughs> Why do people keep ignoring this fact? Well, then, then Miguel bounced around cartoons for a while. He was Martian Manhunter on Justice League. He was Sinestro on Batman. And then he would do episodes of Law & Order, CSI, Medium, which I didn't watch any of those shows. He, I did watch. He was, yes, I watched most of those shows, but I don't remember him in Medium, I have to say. He was the ep- in the 2008 episode Being Joey Carmichael. He was Joey Carmichael. Yeah, after a few years, I gave up on that one. Yeah, I watched the first couple and was just, I only came back for Patricia Arquette's boobs. Yeah. But I didn't, I, I didn't say that out loud, sorry. She just, Patricia Arquette has great boobs. She does. And then he was Silverman on Spider-Man. He did a bunch of TV movies again. He was, he was in the, the Lie to Me show, which I never watched. He was in Psych, which I never watched. And he just seemed to not be able to, to find anything, anything to just hold him down for a while until 2011's The Protector. Which I'll admit, I'm hearing about for the very first time. Yeah, that one isn't very familiar to me. I, of course, I recognize Desperate Housewives, which he was also in, but not the Protector. Yeah, Lieutenant Felix Val- Valdez. 13 episodes. I couldn't even tell you what channel that was on. You know, I'm wondering... Okay, I'm looking at the poster art right now. Yeah, uh, we watched this TV show. Yeah, yeah, I know this woman. I know Allie Walker. Yeah, okay, we watched this show. So I, I seem to remember her having a, uh, a German Shepherd or a Golden Retriever. So, yeah, I, I obviously it's not really familiar to me, but I know for sure I watched it. He was in Beverly Hills Chihuahua 2. Is that a step up or down? From the protector, probably a step down. Well, but then he would do Desperate Housewives, which I gave up on after season one, so I don't remember him as Andre Zeller at all. No, I never watched an episode. I I, I don't know. I, I really had a weird thing for Terry Hatcher in the 2000s. Don't, I don't judge me. I don't blame you. I was right there with Brain Smasher, a love story. Well, and apparently apparently the uh, Beverly Hills Chihuahua movies were paying the bills because he's also in Beverly Hills Chihuahua 3. Yeah, take it where you can get it. And then he would do the Young Justice series where he was Vandal Savage. Where you brought up Marvel, he was Vice President Rodriguez in Iron Man 3, the worst of all the Iron Mans. <laughs> I still think 2 was worse. Two was bad, and I don't like the Marvel... I haven't liked a single one of the Marvel movies yet. Kind of Doctor Strange was all right. Three was really bad. That whole Mandarin, not Mandarin thing just pissed me off. That was pretty bad. The kid was bad. I mean, it was just like Shane Black on autopilot. I was really hoping for another Kiss Kiss Bang Bang when you had Robert Downey Jr. and Shane Black working together. But no, that didn't happen. And then he he did some Adventure Time episodes for voices. He I never saw Rio two. He's he's apparently the villain and the voice of the villain in that. He got NCIS Los Angeles, which I gave up on three episodes in because I just really do not like. Uh, I actually don't like him so much. His name fell out of my head. Robin from Batman and Robin. Oh, okay, yeah. Him, I, I that, that he has never been. He's never acted in his life to me. Chris and I just. I just could not watch. I just could not watch NCIS LA. E- even when one of the, uh, even when one of the real NCIS characters guest starred, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Chris O'Donnell, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, no. He's I, a horrible actor. I watched probably three or four seasons of that, and then we finally just gave up of it on it. So, I um, mean, it was Christopher Lambert showed up at one point. That was pretty good. But yeah, uh, his character, O'Dowd, uh, Chris O'Donnell's character was so annoying. This whole like, ooh, what's his past? It's so mysterious. 
serious. Got and he always played it as, I'm just too cool for all the rest of you agents. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like, I'm done with you. No, thank you. What was Miguel on that one? Because he didn't show up till like season three, and since that was after I gave up, I heard a lot of people say he was the reason they kept watching. Yeah, he showed up, and he was actually like above Hattie, above the the Linda um, Linda Hunt character. Hunt, Hunt character, yeah. And he came in, and he was pretty much an ass kicker. He was just like, because you know there are a bunch of f- ups like L O Cool J and and Deeks and all these guys, and it was just like, hey, we're wild and wacky sometimes. And he came in, and it was just like, yeah, no, we're not doing that so he really kind of like cleaned up the office kind of thing and he was a hard ass most of the time which was pretty good he was almost like the jethro role but in a higher you know i guess he'd be like the the um uh, whoever jethro's boss is from uh the the black guy rocky i can't remember his last name or rocky no, carroll thank you he was kind of that you know stoic character and he would uh you know bring bring justice to the team well and then you you mentioned that that gruff kind of voice oh yeah now obviously none of us have seen it because it's it's not been released yet but he is deathstroke in the teen titans video movie that's supposed to come out later this year it's funny i really like what they're doing with the dc stuff um for the most part i mean superman movie the death of superman movie was so much better than any of the scripts of what they tried to do with death of superman better than the last two live action superman films three i guess because if you count batman versus superman and they even had a very clever kevin smith cameo in there about a giant spider so i I, that the wonder woman movie that they did i i thought they're doing terrific stuff and then they took a huge turn on everything and doing the killing joke or yeah so now i'm not sure what the to expect out of them because that was a horrible horrible movie the the killing joke was almost almost ruthlessly miscalculated yeah it yeah i mean it was just like we are going to do everything to piss off the fans oh nothing in that worked yeah it was bad to look at miguel's career would would you say that he he realized his potential I'm going to go on record in saying he never realized his potential. I I think he settled for these procedurals and things like that when he should have been badass villains in horror movies and action movies more. I don't think he should have had to settle for procedurals and guest stars. I don't think he ever got the acclaim I think he deserved. Yeah, I... I mean, he didn't have the looks of George Clooney, but he had the chops of George Clooney. He, to me, blossomed as an actor way earlier than Clooney did and had the weight to him of being able to play these heavies and being able to play these characters. I think he should have had a, a bigger career, but, you know, he at least he seemed like a very happy person. He seemed like he was enjoying his career. Whenever you saw him in an interview or you hear a fan in interaction with him he always seemed like he was the nice guy that's the weird thing whenever you hear about john saxon and sid Haig and michael ironside and miguel ferrar and lance henriksen they always play these badass sadistic evil people and then in real life you just hear again and again and again that they're just these soft little teddy bear guys in real life if you played the kind of dick characters that miguel ferrar excelled at he wouldn't have any friends he'd probably never get another job in this town Jones, he fumbled the ball and I picked it up. <laughs> we used to call the old man funny names, Booger, <laughs> Iron Butt. So it, what would be your final thoughts on Miguel Ferrar? Uh, a career ended too soon, obviously. What would you say to people who 
would know the man's work but might not have known his name until he died because that's always the way it works everyone's like oh that guy well i was very glad to see my facebook feed light up with his picture because it's always one of those things like you know john polito passed away and nobody you know said boo it's like there were very few people who were just like oh man it's really a bummer he was such a great character actor miguel with john with john polito though all you'd have to do is go mr gideon you're not paying attention right he had so many amazing roles but yeah miguel ferrar he had more um recognizable roles i think i think robocop of course was where everybody knew him from him being on ncis la during these last few years i think has kept him in the public conscious so it was nice to see so many people posting about him and posting what a nice guy he was so yeah i agree career ended definitely way too soon he's got some great stuff in uh, his back catalog. I would really recommend that folks go back and check out some of those things. I'm trying to remember. He told me one movie that of his that you should never watch, and I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like a, 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 a hard ride to hell. He said, never watch that movie. Do not watch that one. Watch everything else, though, I guess, because I, I brought that one up to him. He just said he had a horrible time working on that one, so... Everything else he seemed to be okay with. Yeah, he also he's, was one of those guys, like with Ironside and all that, that they've made some bad movies, but you can never say they were bad in the movies. Exactly. And the thing that I liked about Ferrar, too, is that he would admit when he was in a bad movie. So those things that you were saying, like he was taking this to pay the mortgage, he would freely admit that, which I really appreciated. So he didn't hold himself in this high esteem of stuff. He knew where his bread was buttered. And he, when he had fun playing a role like Albert Rosenfeld, fantastic. He was all about it and was very happy to talk about that and to talk about what a great time he had. When he was in something like Mr. Magoo, he's going to say, yeah, that was really kind of a fucked up situation. So I really appreciate him being that honest. I just wish that Kirkwood Smith would have gotten to kill him in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, where can we find Mike White? Find me over at uh, the projection booth, which is over at the projection of the which is over at projection-booth.com and uh, I'm over on Twitter at probooth_cast, one of the worst Twitter handles ever. And then I'm doing a new podcast about uh Kolchak, the Kolchak tapes. So you can find that at colchaktapes.com I think it is and uh, yeah we've only done one episode so far so uh, we only have like uh, three or four years to go to get through all of the episodes because we're just doing them one a month we're not doing them every week thank god. You can find me at 1201beyond.com contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold. Have a good night. That the dice are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the 
got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolates And the long stem rolls Everybody Everybody knows. Everybody knows. 
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.